0: When God wants to do something great in you, the first thing that He will do is change how you view yourself. Here's the kingdom principle: is that you have to stop saying what you are seeing and start saying what God is seeing over your life. Leveling up is never easy. The children of Israel thought that they had it all planned out. They thought that they were going to go out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, but they ran into something in the wilderness. They ran into themselves. They probably thought good times are here, bricks will make themselves, hard labor is over. The sweet life is upon us, but leveling up is never that easy. It will always require something internal to change so that something external will be changed. We learned last week that every person will be required in this life to face their wilderness. Even Jesus had his wilderness as experienced in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1. Wildernesses aren't something to be avoided. They help shape perspective and conviction in our life for our purpose. But I believe that perpetual or generational wildernesses should be avoided. We were never meant to be wilderness wanderers, but promised land possessors. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Bondage taught the children of Israel how to think. They were hand-fed structure, disappointment, agony. But don't miss this. It was the hand-feeding that had to change. Over the last preceding weeks, I have talked to our church about this anti-reformation movement that has hit the American culture. We learned that Martin Luther, some hundreds of years ago, went to the powers that be and said, No, we want to take and have responsibility over our personal walk with the Lord. It seemingly seems like in the last 30 or 40 years, the American church has taken this Bible that they have in their hand and returned it back to the teachers or preachers and said, no, you do it for us. And you've got to be careful that you don't uh, cosign for the structure that the Bible says is going to happen in the last days. That people are going to heap into themselves teachers that will scratch and itch their ears. And so what we have in America, in this pastor's opinion, is a whole bunch of people that have delegated their responsibility and their Christian walk to their pastors and their leaders and said, no, you do it for us. And what we have to have is we have to have an anti-anti-Reformation movement. We've got to get back to where you understand that you are not called to be a spectator in the kingdom of God. You're called to be a participator in the kingdom of God. That's... Yeah, come on, give the Lord a big round of applause. That's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be. It's why I so love seeing young people being activated in their giftings like we saw this morning. They're not the next generation, they're the now generation. God's calling them to lead to lead the church today. Because you will never get to your purpose in life by someone else's revelation of God. Let that one sink in. No matter how great of a speaker this pastor is, No matter how many stories I can tell you, no matter how many times a missionary can make you laugh about how they got together in their story, no matter how many uh, dramas or productions that we do, you will never ever get to God's purpose in your life until you hear the voice of God for yourself. The most important moments that you'll have in Christ are the moments where you'll be driving in your car down the road or you'll be in your home reading your Bible. You'll be down at an altar in a corporate worship service. And when God gets a hold of your life, your life will never stay the same. Amen? Amen. If he's ever done that for you, give him the biggest round of applause you've given him in a long time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, when I rely on others to tell me what and who I am, And what I am supposed to do, I will always struggle believing what and who God says I am and what He wants me to do. And the form that the Bible speaks about has to change. The form that is around the American Christian has to change. Because when God gets a hold of your life, there is no place that He won't send you, no people He won't call you to reach, no thing that He won't cause you to see, but you can have your own experience with God. It reminded me of a story in the Bible that we're going to open with up this morning. Zechariah, he was a priest in the first century, the husband of Elizabeth with no children until late in his life. Zechariah, the Bible says, was a priest in the eighth priestly division according to the David's arrangements of the priests found in 1 Chronicles. Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1, verses 6, was described as righteous and blameless before God. The story goes that he meets the angel of the Lord Gabriel in the temple while filling his priestly duties. He was chosen by lot, or by chance. And how many know that there's no coincidences or chances in the kingdom of God? You're here this morning, listen to me, you're here this morning on purpose, for a purpose, amen? That's right. He enters, a temple, enters the temple, anticipation is waiting outside while he is performing his priestly duties. But he was to have an encounter that would change the course of his life in human history. Even those who were described as Luke chapter 1 verses 6, those people that are described as righteous and blameless need to join in God's confession and promises even before you see the signs of breakthrough. I'm going to just lay some groundwork and then I'm going to preach at you, okay? Is that okay? Okay. The angel tells Zechariah that a son will be miraculously born to him and his barren wife Elizabeth, both of whom were beyond the age of bearing children. In other words, they were old. Look at your neighbor and say, You're old. I can't believe you guys listen to everything that we say. Isn't that just amazing? There's a viral video going out right now on Facebook where a guy took a lint roller and acted like he was a security guard to go in his office building, and people started lining up, thinking that he was security, and all he was doing was linting their shoulders. (laughs) You guys need to learn how to think for yourself, all right? We do have marriage counseling available if you told your wife or your husband that they're old. How can... Luke 1, verses 6 description match with a Luke 1, 18 response. How can you be righteous and blameless before God, yet when the promise comes to you that you've been praying for, don't believe it? What, how, how many of the has that happened to in this room? I'll raise my hand. That when it's oftentimes, even though that we are righteous and blameless because of what Christ did, when God's promises get spoken over us, we often respond like Zechariah did in Luke chapter 1. Who, me? I know I've been praying this. Now I'm seeing an angel that's verifying it. And now he's telling me what to call my son. But man, I can't even believe what's being happening, happened to me. Zechariah does not speak. Listen to me. God had to literally shut the doubt up in Zechariah. Just, I want you to land right here for a moment. He had to literally make this man mute because he was so conditioned by not receiving a promise that even when he saw an angel sitting in front of him, he couldn't believe it. How many of us in the American church have so believed in the decline of Christianity, the decline of young people leaving the faith? The decline of our families and friends not walking in complete and total victory, which heaven has promised. How many of us have have walked underneath the bondages of past thinking, and then when God shows up, and he begins to declare the promises over you, that the first thing that comes from our mouth is the reason why God can't do it. I started praying this week, Lord, would you shut the doubt up on the inside of me? Because even as a pastor who's Who I believe, I want you to know what God sees about this church. You guys are kingdom movers. You you are going to touch four corners of the world. What God is going to break through this body and through this believer, through these believers, is something that will only be explained by God doing it because it's not going to be us. Supernatural generosity, supernatural life-giving mission and purpose is going to be released in this body. As it has happened in the past... The past isn't even going to be a predictor of what he wants to do through this body. And even as I talk about it, that place inside of me that doubts, I need God to shut it up. That's what happened to Zechariah. correct? Zechariah was this man who was righteous and blameless, but the moment that God started talking to him about his future, he spoke his doubts rather than his faith. In that encounter... The angel says, you're going to name your son, John. The Bible says in Luke that no one believed the name that was given to their son. Why? Because no one in, listen to me, no one in their past had the name John. I love when, when God starts to do something, people will look at your past and tell you why you can't do it. But God looks to your future and says, you can do it. That's a good place to clap right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, I'm too old. God, my family's too too poor. God, I don't have enough faith. God, I've made a truckload of mistakes. And everybody in your life that agrees with you, you run from, when they talk about your past, failures being a predictor of what God has for you in the future. Get around you some people that when they look at you, see the greatness of God in you and fan that flame in you. Look to your neighbor right now and say, get away from me if you're not going to believe in me. Don't be sitting next to me if you're not going to believe in me. Because what you have to start doing again is not repeat what you are seeing in your life, but repeat what God is seeing in your life. Zechariah had this encounter with God about his future, and he didn't even have to wait for his family to disagree. He disagreed with it right, right away. He asks for a writing tablet so he can declare what God said. Which was an affirmation of what Elizabeth had already declared and what Gabriel had previously told him to name the child. And the moment that he gets to the end—I know it wasn't the end, but the English version—it's a great story. The end. The moment that he gets to the end and the last name of his last letter of his son's name, his doubt goes away, and faith was loosed. So, listen to me. It's so important that you start agreeing confessionally with what God is saying over your life. There are places, there are are common places that most people struggle in the kingdom. One is that they've got giftings and talents that God wants to use in them. Identifying the purpose that God has for them is oftentimes a struggle or a stronghold in people's lives because why? You use your past to be a predictor of your future. What the cross means in our lives is what was gone yesterday is gone. It's underneath the blood. Look to your neighbor and say, it's underneath the blood. And God has a new life and a new future for you. And you have to start changing your confessions by saying, God, you've gifted me with talents and giftings and purposes not to be a spectator in the kingdom of God, but to be a participator in the kingdom of God. Look to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you right now. He's talking to you right now. Do you know the second place that we usually doubt in the kingdom is generosity? We often doubt the need to return to God his stuff. You know, I've been confessing something to you as a pastor that every amount of resource that we need to fulfill God's plan and purpose for our church is already here. We don't listen to me, supernatural generosity is not when everyone starts tithing. That's the minimum. Supernatural generosity is when you get the kingdom principle in your life that what God puts in my hand, if I release it through the church, listen to me, if I release it through the church, it doesn't get stuck at the church. It doesn't get stuck at a pastor's bank account. It doesn't get stuck to where I can't even see the effects of it. But when I release generosity through the local body, the local church, that local resource makes a global impact. So oftentimes we don't trust God with our generosity. Why? Because we, A, don't trust God. Two, we don't trust God's representatives. Look to your neighbor and say, that's a real thing. (laughs) He's talking to me right now. Why is it? I'm going to be honest. We don't talk about the things we should talk about in church, right? right. There, There are a lot of times that people started giving and their money was used and weaponized for things not for the kingdom purposes, but other things. Look to your neighbor and say, he's not telling no lie right now. He's not telling no lie right now. And oftentimes, what what a new pastor or a church like Parkway that has rich history in giving, what we have to live up against is the dishonesty of other people who have called themselves men of God or women of God doing wrong things with the people's money when we have to understand it wasn't our money in the first place. It was God's money. And I don't want to be on the other side of that. I don't want to be on the other side of taking God's money. Because listen to me, what the, the judgment that they have coming to them, they don't need your judgment. <laughs> they need your prayers. But what's going to happen here is supernatural generosity is going to be released. The tithes, the offerings... The, the the Romans chapter 12, spiritual giftings of generosity. Right now, there's people in this room, in this church, that can give large amounts of checks for the kingdom. But because the church, and I'm not talking about partway, but the American church has done so many things wrong. Now, they've done things, things right, but so many things wrong. There is this natural distrust in the body of Christ to release back to God what's his for the preaching of the gospel all over the world. We've got to break down the stronghold over generosity. Look to your neighbor and say, he's preaching. He's preaching right now. Some of you guys are sitting on your wallets right now, and they're squeaking right now. <laughs> the third area we have that people struggle with is God's promises over their life. I believe that one of the greatest lessons that we can learn in the body of Christ is to shut the doubt out and to turn the faith up. The Bible says that when it comes to giving, you can test him. Try it this morning. Reach to your your neighbor's checkbook and write a check like you've always wanted to write. Like, test it. No, that's not true. Don't do that. Can't listen to everything I say, right? But my prayer has been, Lord, shut me up to those places in my life that have been accustomed to believing the doubt and not the promise. You've always had a perfect plan for my life and I trust you. Walt Alman said this, doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. The preacher once brilliantly pointed out that we cannot doubt something without simultaneously trusting in something else. Eve began to doubt God, more importantly her relationship with God, and at the same moment she began to trust the serpent. What you do when you don't trust God's kingdom principles is not that it's not that you don't just trust God, but you're putting your trust somewhere else that's right. that's good. so you're trusting something like right now in this room if you are not a giver a generosity person if you're not a person that's walking in the full calling that God has for you with the purposes and giftings in your life it's not that you're not just trusting God it's that you're trusting the doubt or the negative or the enemy over your life or even self doubt and that has to stop because it's not that you're not just not trusting God I like the analogy of the hitchhiker. Doubt is not unbelief, but it's not faith either. It wavers between faith and unbelief, unable to make up its mind what it wants to be. It is like the hitchhiker who is thumbing a ride with one hand in one direction and thumbing a ride with his other hand in the other direction. He wasn't sure which way he wanted to go. And if that's not a picture of a lot of Christians in the American church, double-minded or unstable in all of their ways. But I've got great news for you. There has never been more of a ripe harvest for revival than what we see in America today. Let me remind you of Exodus chapter 13 as we get into the meat of this message. Verses 17 through 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. When they see. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the sea, and the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. We learned last week that they had grown accustomed to being told by a man what to think about themselves. I believe they could have saved Forty-year wanderings if they would have looked internally to surrender their heart rather than to externally to their idea of a promised land. They thought they were ready to level up, but in the end, God said, you have two choices in front of you. It was either war or it was the wilderness. God knew that there were two ways for them to level up. It was either to confront your enemy in war or to confront yourself in the wilderness And then confront your enemy in war. We know by reading scripture that the wilderness exposed them. It showed them the result of living years in a defeated posture. The bondage, listen to me, the bondage created in them a bent towards complaining and not believing. They saw themselves as slaves and captives, but God saw them as free. One of my major jobs as your pastor is to not agree with the doubt that has held you captive. If I begin to agree with all the reasons why the kingdom is not going to advance, I am not agreeing with the part of the kingdom that I'm supposed to be living in. If you want to have a conversation of of why miracles shouldn't happen and why supernatural generosity shouldn't take place and, and why the church shouldn't advance, there are more reasons to believe that than there is to believe this But that's not the kingdom that we're a part of. You listen to me all across this room. The pessimist, the optimist, the the pessimist in the room will tell you all the reasons why it can't happen. The optimist will tell you all the reasons why it can, but not ever ever looking at the the, the reasons why or the the words of wisdom that are needed to walk through that season. But God says that you're not called to be optimistic or even pessimistic. You're called to be people of faith. People of faith means that there are some things that we are going to face in life That when God does it, we can't even explain why it happened. That's the kingdom that we are part of. But I believe the bondage that's been created in the American church over the last 40 or 50 years creates a knee-jerk reaction to believe the doubt that's found in themselves and not the faith that's found in God's word. And we've got to change that. We've got to change Look to your neighbor and say, we've got to change that. We'll agree with the reasons why miracles aren't happening and healings aren't taking place and transformed lives aren't happening, but the moment when someone comes up in faith, we want to correct them as why they're wrong. It's true, isn't it? And it's my job as your pastor to start telling you that we live in a kingdom that is advancing. The Bible says that the gates of hell are not going to prevail against us. That's what it says. And that gives us a picture, not that we're trying to fortify and hold on, it's that the enemy is trying to fortify and hold on. And what we have to do is we have to get back to the advancement of the kingdom. The Israelites saw themselves as slaves and captives, but God saw saw them as free. We have lived it for years in America where no spiritual awakening has happened. Our nation, our world, our church, our families need an awakening to God and His voice in the worst ways. And here's the good news. Our society is ripe for the greatest move of God ever seen. Come on, give the Lord a big round of applause if you believe that. I believe that. And let me tell you where it starts. It starts with you and I dusting off our tuner tuner, repenting and returning to a new place where God begins to speak to us again. I can't wait for the reports when the Gaddis has come and say, hey, there was a person that stopped me in the lobby and said it was me, I'm called to be a missionary. Don't you long for the days? Don't you long for the days where you see what is written in Scripture to be able to be seen in person? Don't you hunger for it? Don't you hunger for, for, for the call of God to go out and people to answer the call to go to the uttermost parts of the world, don't you long for the, the, the transform lives once again to happen in the church? But it happens when you see and you begin to declare what God sees over you, not what you see over you. When your sight is not right, most will opt for the wandering in the wilderness and never face the giants that are in the way of your promised land. One of the things that I want you to know unequivocally is that there are giants that need to be confronted. And I'm going to bring it home, not just in the American church, but in our church. There are places that have been built in structurally in our hearts where we oftentimes will believe the bad report over God's report. In me as a pastor, if I'm not careful, I'll begin to be like Aaron and agree with the people. When I'm called to be like Moses and agree with God. There is a structure that is in place that we heap into ourselves teachers that will rather agree with our doubt and unbelief. When rather than bring preachers or pastors in front of us that will challenge your unbelief and doubt. That will say the structure has to change. Our faith in the American church and in Parkway has to grow and to expand if we are ever going to see the things that God wants us to see. We're going to have to walk in levels of obedience that we've never walked in. We're going to have to walk in levels of holiness that we've never walked in. We're going to have to return to a place, listen to me, not of legalism. Legalism looks a lot like holiness with a different heart. But there is is a level of holiness that we have to walk in again if we're going to see and experience the things that God wants us to see and experience. Doubt has conditioned us. Failure has formed us. Self has shaped us. But God is about to free us in Jesus' name. That deserves a bigger round of applause than you're giving it right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our doubt has conditioned us, our failure has formed us, but self has shaped us, but God is about to free us, because why? It is always going to be our job to bring the faith, and His job to bring the victory. Our our responsibility is not the outcome. Our responsibility is faith. When when I'm praying for somebody, my responsibility is faith. Faith. It's not to doubt. My responsibility when I'm coming up against a person that needs freedom from addiction, it's my responsibility to bring the faith. I am not God. I cannot do the work. But my faith coupled with the unmovable, unshakable truth found in words God, in the word of God, that word of God impacts people's lives. You can't explain it, but man, you can take your pointy finger and point to the one who's caused it in Jesus' name. Amen. See, the wilderness exposes our convictions or our conveniences. There's three things that the wilderness can expose, and I believe it's the three reasons why most of us are wandering in places where we're not seeing God's promises fulfilled over our lives. The first area that you have to be careful of in the wilderness is a place of sin. And I want to be clear. I'm not talking about the Americanized version of compromise, or distraction, listen to me, or mistakes. We have watered down so many terms in church today, the Bible calls it sin. That's right. It is sin that separates you from God, and that's why we need Jesus. But God is not going to bless unrepentant, unconfessed sin in believers' lives and not deal with those, that sin that's in your life and give you the things that you've been praying for if you're still walking in sin? How is he going to bless your marriage if you're still having battles with pornography? How is he going to bless your marriage if you're having adultery? How, how is he going to bless your life, young person, if you're having sex outside of marriage? Yeah. There are a lot of people that want the church to whitewash a lot of things in their life and to say it's okay when it's really not okay. And the reason why we walk in wildernesses, perpetual wildernesses throughout generations is because we've never really dealt with the sin that's in our life. We speak in tongues, but we gossip in English. Start ducking. Isn't it true? Yeah, true. We criticize the, criticize the pastor for getting something wrong. We don't walk in grace where people can grow. We judge the person next to us in the pew and say, they're always going to be that way. That's not, the, that's not the right thing that God has us to do as believers. We look to those things that aren't as though they are, and God asks us to look at the treasure or the greatness in them and begin to call them out. Amen. The criticalness. The sin, though, must be dealt with. And I just want to be clear. So if I'm going to offend you this morning, I want to be clear in offending you, okay? <laughs> I'm not just talking about someone else's worse sin than mine. That's what we do in the church. Well, I'm, 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 I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so next to me. You should hear what they've done as we get on the gossip prayer lines. And I just want to be clear. The sin that needs repenting is my gossip. It's my doubt. It's my unbelief. It's my issue. It's, it's, my, it's my sin that needs to be dealt with. And if it's not dealt with, what ends up happening is I, I hand that sin or that issue down to the next generation to be dealt with. If you, want a humbling, if you want a humbling, sobering thought, look at your kids. Because the same things that you struggle with in sin, if you don't win that victory, they will struggle with. That's right. And so what we have to do is the wilderness teaches us that sin has to be dealt with. Francis Chan says this, the modern American Christian doesn't want to be saved from their sin, just the consequences from them. We have to get to the place in the body of Christ once again, where when we repent of sin, we're not just repenting from the consequences of the sin, but we're repenting from the sin itself. Repent means to turn from and not do again. If you're coming down to an altar and your prayer life is like, Lord, if you get me out of this again, I'll never do it again. That's not repentance. That's asking God for forgiveness. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness and grace over my life. But if you're ever going to want to see victory, you're going to have to learn what godly sorrow looks like that leads to repentance. Sweetheart, honey, wife, I am sorry for the things that I've been doing in private that have dishonored you. Some of us as men need to have that conversation. Because why? If if we keep wandering in sin, we'll be in a perpetual wilderness. The second thing that you have to watch out for in wilderness is self. James chapter 1 verses 7 through 8 says it like this. this. That man should not expect to receive what? Anything from the Lord, because why? He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. If you find residence in between faith and doubt, that person should never expect to receive anything from God. I didn't say that. I Like one of the, one of the old pastors would say, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't write the book. I'm just sharing it with you, Right? You cannot expect to receive the promises of God if you've made your house in the middle of faith and doubt. The third thing is sin self, and the third thing is you need seasons of needed growth. You know, the process doesn't reveal to God what's inside of you. Like right now, I just want to let you in on a little secret. God's not shocked when you come to Him and repent. Like we're keeping a secret from him, you know, like Like, he knows it all Could you imagine if what he knew in this room Would be put on the screen? Holy smokes I think we would all duck underneath the pews I'm glad that my last name starts with an S So at least everyone, like, A through whatever can Because it's got to be alphabetically, right? Yeah Yeah Pastor Micah Agnew, you're first That's right God God is not shocked by what's inside of you. You know what the process of the wilderness does? The wilderness reveals to you what's inside of you. And the reason why he reveals those things inside, listen to me, is not because he's mad or upset. It's oftentimes because you've been praying the prayer of God. I want to be the man or woman of God you've called me to be. And when he begins through life and its process, again, from the prayer of commitment to the process, you become the product. That process that God has for you, he begins to reveal things on the inside of you, not because he's a mean God and wants to show you how bad you are. It's because he reveals those things to you so that you can submit them to the foot of the cross and you don't have to deal with those things anymore. Hallelujah. If you're going to give him a big round of applause, give him a big round of applause. Hallelujah book if you can come in the wilderness if I submit to God I win but also in the war if I submit to God they win if you're in a wilderness this morning the best bit of advice this pastor can give you is we serve a loving God who's quick to forgive as we repent he's slow to anger he's a loving God if you find yourself in the wilderness wandering, give your life to Jesus. Not just half of what you are, but all of you all of you are. God doesn't just want the good, the polished, the parts where you feel like you could present to him. God, he wants all of you. And what a great exchange that is. Please lock in with me as we close. But it's not just the wilderness this morning, it's the war. The war, for those of us that have been part of this advancement of of the kingdom, the war you have to oftentimes deal with different kinds of things, and the first thing that you have to deal with, you ready for it, is weariness. Weariness. The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing well, for in due season you will reap a harvest if you faint not. I can tell you, 21 years in the ministry is not as long as some, not as few as others, but I can tell you there are seasons where the battle does get tough. You pray and you pray and you pray and you repeat and you repeat and you repeat what God is saying. And frustration and weariness can set in because you know the promises of God are yes and amen, but everywhere you look, Oftentimes you see no, but God says if you'll give me your weariness, if you'll wait upon me, I'll renew your strength. You know, there's a, there's a rest that God wants to give you in ministry. That's not found on a mattress. So many people in the ministry get so tired and they think they just need a season off. You don't need a season off of ministry. You need to sit at the foot of Jesus. Jesus. Because when you wait upon him, that's where you find rest. I believe in sabbaticals, and I believe in times of, of healing. And, and But listen to me. If you're not running to the foot of the cross, you're not going to find the rest that you really need. There's so many people here at this church, the remnant of this church, that you've been pressing and believing God for many, many years. And God says, remember who your source is. Your source isn't the end product. Your source isn't good times being here again. Your source isn't the victories that are coming. Your source is Jesus. And just to spend time with Him is our great reward. He is our reward. The second thing that you have to know about the war is that not, is there not just weariness, but there can be wounds. Who do you go to when you're wounded? Who do you go to when a pastor or a church leader lets you down? Who do you go to when you've given all that you can give and the person that is fighting the, supposed to be fighting the war with you turns on you and says mean things? The war oftentimes in the war where we're supposed to be winning souls for Jesus, the things that are spoken in that season of our life For some can cause irreparable damage if you don't learn what it means to forgive and to forget. Many people in the body of Christ have had wounds. You've had a pastor, you've had a mentor, you've had a discipler in your life speak things to you that cause great pain in your life. But I I do in this moment want to differentiate the two. Listen to me. Just because someone said something hard to you in truth doesn't mean that that's supposed to be a wound. There are a lot of times that in the church we call wounds someone confronting the sin in our life. No, that's love. If you wanna come in my office and you want me to, to agree with your sin, you're going to, go to, you're going to the wrong office. But if you want me to agree with you that God wants to set you free and he wants to make you the head and not the tail, I'll agree with that. But there are those, those moments in our Christian walk where people wound you by the things that they've said. I've been carrying in a transparent moment, I've been carrying for 10 to 11 or 12 months, wounds, people that I trusted and loved. The moment that God began to speak to me, I had to make a choice. Am I gonna to listen to God? Or those people in my life that I do value their opinion and I love them. And oftentimes I valued and loved their opinion more than God. They would say things to me about, you're going to where? You're doing what? And I would say to them, but God told me. And they would say, you're going where? And you're doing what? But I would say, God spoke to me. And they would say, you're going where? And you're doing what? And they weren't breathing life into our family and those wounds, but I realized in those moments that it's not their fault That I gave them a place that I only should have given God in my life. And to forgive and to know that they're human just like me. And they don't get it right just like I don't get it right sometimes. But in the war, you gotta be careful that you don't let the wounds of yesterday detract from what God has for you tomorrow. Am I, could you wave your hand if I'm talking to anybody in this room? All right, I'm talking to people in this room, okay. The last thing and we'll close. The third area of the war often exposes wondering are we ever going to win is our church ever going to advance is a kingdom of God ever going to do what it says it'll do the answer unequivocally listen to me is yes not only are we going to win listen to me we've already won we're not fighting for victory we're fighting from victory God's got you in the palm of his hands. Holy Spirit, would you help me? I feel the clock right now going. And I want to submit everything that I am to you in this moment. Father, would you speak? God, forgive me as a pastor that wants to put a time limit on you. God, mute that area in my life that's not pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. In war, you got to know your weapons. The Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is the weapon that God has given us in this last days. This person provides comfort and companionship and the work provides giftings. You know, spiritual gifting and supernatural generosity are two tangible ways the Holy Spirit works through us. Here's the best thing I can tell you about the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. You ready for it? If you have yet to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, start seeking it. If you're having a hard time believing it's for you, wrestle in the Word of God. The word of God says that we have a heavenly father that doesn't know how to give bad gifts to us, only good gifts. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, I will tell you on the 10th floor of the Oakland hospital, when I didn't have words to say, when they said my son was never gonna walk again, he was gonna be an invalid for the rest of his life. I didn't have words to say, but that prayer language would bubble up. People would look at me funny and I didn't care because it was groanings and moanings that could not be understood and explained. Listen, I I think the world of people who can go through this life without being baptized in the Holy Spirit, because I couldn't. He's a friend. He's a comforter. He's close. If it's been a long time since you've been intimate with the Holy Spirit, this pastor is going to start nudging you in this direction of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and to allow that baptism to fan a flame that you have never felt to discover the great giftings that God has for you. Because why? The person and the work of the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, in the end, it's not about you. It's about them. It allows us to be, have power to be witnesses. What an incredible thing it is, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. If you're a young adult in here you've never been prayed for to be baptized in the Holy Spirit today's a good day that thing begins to bubble up on the inside of you you want to have faith to go run through a mountain get baptized with the Holy Spirit and power in Jesus name it's a comforter, a friend that man sticks closer than a brother the person and work of the Holy Spirit the second thing is this I believe that supernatural generosity needs to be released in our church. I'm going to be transparent for a few moments. We had a board meeting on Tuesday. I don't believe that we're supposed to stop the advancement of the kingdom. But sometimes when you look on paper, you go, well, maybe we should slow down a little bit. God says, no, why don't you go to the people and say, If you haven't been giving faithfully, if you haven't practiced supernatural generosity, kingdom advancement can happen not one day, but today, if you will release what God has put in your hands to release. This pastor needs you to begin to exercise that faith gift of spiritual supernatural generosity. And every time that offering bucket gets passed, it's not gonna be empty. And every time you get a paycheck that God's gifted you to give, to get, you give. And I will promise you this. You will see blessings that you've never seen before. Listen to me. Blessings might not be monetarily. But when you walk in obedience, the kingdom of God begins to be released in your life in new ways. Joy and peace and happiness. If you're with me this morning, why don't you give Jesus one big round of applause. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. recognize the hour is late. If you've got to be dismissed when we start worshiping, we love you. There's no condemnation. But I believe that there's a moment at the end of this service where we're going to come forward at an altar. If you want to be prayed for to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've got prayer warriors and then come pray. If you want more of God this morning, I want you to know these altars are open. But before you head out that direction, would you stand up? Brooke, would you lead us in one chorus together as a big family? And then, if you want more, I want to meet you down here at the altar and we want to pray with you.
1: Oh, and I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Oh, because I know there is peace within His presence. Oh, I know. name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break pray
0: Come on, would you stretch up your hands all across this room? And again, just to reiterate, if you need to be dismissed, you're more than welcome to be dismissed. We love and honor your attendance here today. But I feel like the Holy Spirit still wants to do some more things here today, man. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Father, we walk in obedience to your word. Father, we stir the gifts up. hallelujah hallelujah father let faith begin to arise in this house faith for first and foremost expectancy with meeting with you come on would you just begin to lift up your voice your own voice father we honor you we glorify you hallelujah two areas that I feel like we're supposed to minister to directly is if you want to be, if you've never been f- baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues I recognize that there are some here today that maybe just need some more understanding and they need they need some more, like where does that say that in the word? But there are some here today that your faith is ready you know God has something more for you and so if you're you're wanting to be prayed for and filled with the Holy Spirit would you guys come down on this side of the altar? The second is if you need healing in your body, we have, I even hesitate to even say the miracles that we have begin to see over the last several months in our church, but God is a miracle working God. We had a young man that had scoliosis on Easter Sunday get prayed for and his back went straight. We've had blind eyes clear up and begin to be more open. I don't know where your faith is but if you need healing in your body, would you guys come down right here and we're going to pray the prayer of faith over you. The rest of you, would you just begin to lift up your hands and begin to worship. But if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to come on this side. If you want healing or you're believing for healing, I want you to come on this side and we're going to pray for you right now.
1: Shout Jesus, shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streets, oh,